0: Welcome to Between the Sound, a place to share all things music, art, conversation, inspirations, aspirations, friendships, and where we get into it. So let's get into it. Today we talk about love. This magical human has traveled far and wide, moving from Italy to New York to Brazil and on to London, developing a healthy love of travel and the people and sights within it. So it is sweetly serendipitous to now see the stars inside as her bespoke planning and design studio, thriving and specializing in soulful elopements and intimate destination weddings all over the globe. With a speciality in creating magical atmospheres that couples can enjoy to the fullest, this woman loves working closely with her brides and grooms to help them weave their passions, stories and values into their celebrations. Having emerged from a wonderfully diverse world that saw her gravitating between studying astrophysics, to entertaining circus acrobatics, and into the steely life of banking, her work now is all about making time and space for creating deeper connections with loved ones through heartfelt, elevated wedding experiences. Based in the UK, she supports couples to bring to life breathtaking unions all over the world. Today, we welcome Valentina Ring
1: hi (laughs) hello valentina firstly
2: happy valentines oh thank you you know in italy um there's this thing where if you have because obviously every saint has a day and if you have the same name as the name of saint of that day it's called the onomastico which is like a special holiday for your saint day. And yeah. so Valentine's for me is like really cute and romantic, but it's also my Saint Day.
1: <laughs> exactly. Because I just thought, wow, what serendipity moment we have because I'm interviewing Valentina. It's perfect. Ah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I hope it was filled with everything you wished for anyway.
2: Thank you. My husband was away last week and he came back on Saturday. So we had a little Valentine's weekend when he got back.
1: I must say your name is perfectly suited to your profession.
2: And my surname, which is totally obviously serendipitous because I didn't plan to marry a guy whose surname was like perfect for weddings. And sometimes (laughs) people say to me like Valentina Ring, like Mrs. Ring, surely you should have used that as your business name. But like, I almost think it's like, it's so perfect, almost like a bit too saccharine. You know, I actually
1: thought for a moment, wait, is that her real surname or is it her sort of stage name
2: no yeah oh I wish that would be pretty cool yeah no it's my it's my married name and obviously my maiden name is Italian and unpronounceable so I was so relieved to move towards (laughs) a surname that people understand so that I don't have to spell it over the phone every three seconds and as you said it's actually super cute isn't it
1: (laughs) it is really cute maybe it will come into the branding somewhere along the line
2: I'm sure it will
1: Sometimes our professions or the world we walk in is sort of laid out for us before we recognize it, maybe. But let's start. Where did you grow up? I mean, firstly, I
2: just want to thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited, as you can tell from my voice. And I was really looking forward to this. I haven't seen you in so long. And it's just really lovely to hear your voice. It feels like an echo of, you know, happy times. Thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry, back to your question. So both of my parents worked for the Italian embassy. So We moved around every four years and I followed them on part of their kind of diplomatic journey, which meant I Hopped in and out of different countries that you know they were moving to for work. So, um, for quite a big chunk of my childhood, we were in New York, which is why you can probably still hear a little bit of an American mm-hmm. little twang in there. I lived in Rome for a little bit, which is my kind of hometown, as it were, and then we also lived in Brazil for a little while in Recife, and you know I was quite young you know, it was four years and it it does become a little part of you. And I made some of my closest friends. Obviously, I don't see them very often, but we keep in touch. And yeah, just a really, really special part of my childhood as well. And then when university came along, I decided to move to the UK on my own and I went to Bristol. So I suppose the kind of growing up was quite international, but it was really lovely to have Italy as my space you know or we would go back to for every like major holiday and stuff and my parents both had marriages before they met you know I have a couple of half siblings in Italy and so every time we went back I would see my brother and my sister and yeah a little bit kind of disconnected I suppose on paper but in fact Now I'm just very grateful that I got to live in a few different places and it taught me the joy of travel, I think. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, just listening to that now, it makes me realize how many things we have in common because I've got the Greek side as my roots and you've got the Italian side. And that definitely, I feel everything stems from that, whether I'm staying there or not is a huge influence. And then... um, America, I guess I could liken to Australia for me, where I spent time and grew up and probably still have accent yeah. of. <laughs> um, <laughs> New York, I love because I've really fell in love with New York when I first started traveling away from Australia. And Recife, or is as you just mentioned, I, I don't know if I forgot that when we first met, but I've been there and I spent carnival there with my friend.
2: I think we had a very brief conversation about this in the car when I
1: first met you which is so funny. (laughs) (laughs) So there's so many places that now are becoming really clear that we share
2: which is amazing. That's amazing especially when the world is so big and our paths have been so different how wonderful Mm -hmm. is it that we've got all these points in common.
1: (laughs) Yeah and we come across each other in a cab in Italy in Naples. I know in How did that influence you then, I guess? How how did uh, all these places that you experienced from very young to now influence your path that you've taken and the future that you've created now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I think that moving around as I have has made me firstly, I'm the kind of person who embraces change very openly when change comes, I welcome it, but also I trigger it when it hasn't come for a little while. So Ah. I think it has affected the way I deal with my professional life because I've had kind of eerily similar cycle with work i've been sort of every three years or so i go through a really big professional change and if you think that kind of mirrors the fact that every three years or so i used to change country when i was younger so who knows maybe it's made me the kind of person who every so often needs a little bit of like a reset but on the other hand i think it also means that i take it all with me so You know, I'm so grateful now of the things that I was exposed to when I was younger, Mm. the fact that it, you know, I was able to learn a few different languages and just meet so many people from so many different places. Mm. And I think it's made me appreciate what it means to be out of your comfort zone and meeting new people and stuff. And that's something that I then took with me into work because my Professions have varied everywhere from astrophysics to circus performing to investment banking and all the way through I was meeting people from very different walks of life and different I suppose life philosophies and I think that echoes an openness that maybe I learned when I was younger so I definitely think it's at the very core of who I am. Um, In a more direct way, it's made me a lover of travel and that's still something that as an adult now I love weaving into my life and professionally. You know, I've become a wedding planner and actually 80% of my weddings are destination weddings. So I'm traveling all the time now and I absolutely love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it serves you well. Would you say um, the variation in your careers, because they are so far removed from one another, have bled into each other? Have you found skills and experiences from one very apparent in the other and it surprised you?
2: I think if anyone looked at my CV on on paper they'd be like she must have been picking her professions with a blindfold <laughs> or something <laughs> but the truth is now in hindsight I can definitely look back and think okay you know those years training you know as a scientist in the scientific community have made me a lover of problem solving and like Figuring things out, I become the kind of person that asks questions all the time. And I think that stays with you forever, like after you've lived in that kind of scientific training space. And then the years um, with the circus, I mean, obviously, I don't hang by my feet anymore, but <laughs> I actually do think more than anything. It has shaped who I am because I used to be cripplingly introverted and shy, really, and just scared of new things. And you new... now, you know, if it wasn't for those years, I pushed myself so far out of my comfort zone and found a new comfort zone. And I found new things that I loved that I didn't know that I loved. And and I think it wasn't until those years that I really figured out who I am and that balance of creativity and like analytical kind of personality I didn't know that you could have a job where you were that expressive with your feelings and your emotions and your creativity and I don't think I would have yeah I mean I don't know I think I'd definitely stayed with me in a way that's so so huge and so deep it's quite hard to describe um, and then the years at the bank I mean in a very direct way they allowed me to save up money to start my own business mm-hmm. but I also think it gave me um, a courage and like a belief in myself that I don't know that I had before because it's a very hostile, difficult, you know, male environment. You have to stand your ground. It can be, you know, a bit Hunger Gamesy and you have to sort of back yourself and like and really like own your space and stuff. And I don't know that I would have had the courage to start a business if I hadn't been through those years, kind of with a more financial kind of business head on my shoulders for a couple of years. So I don't know you know I mean it seems crazy but I feel like I've been training for this my whole life.
1: <laughs> wow that's incredible when the pieces start to fit and yeah. it's really interesting that you said on one hand you embrace change and almost you know call it and on another hand you you feared that you know So yeah. who would you say was your biggest influence because something happened there to be able to, embrace it?
2: I mean, my parents had a really fantastic outlook on life in terms of what travel meant to them. They never owned a house. They just moved around all the time and they did it for work and they did it in a very sort of, you know, I'm not talking bohemian free spirits. That is not who they were, but they, you know, for them, travel was a part of life. Moving house was a part of life. And, it detaches you from the concept of home and belongings a little bit because every three years you're like well putting everything into boxes throwing a bunch of things away starting over this is our new space this is our new home and they taught me what it's like to like make a home wherever you are you know Mm -hmm. and that was I would say like I was massively influenced by them in a positive way. Now, as an adult, I'm thinking, you know, my husband and I have actually just bought a house. I don't know, it was a really big mindset shift for me to think like, okay, this is where I'm going to nest for a while. And this is the person I'm going to nest with. And this is going to be our home for a bit. And it did make me very excited about it. But I am glad that, you know, I was able to take that concept of home with me. And that definitely is an influence from my parents. In terms of the kind of, changes in profession and and things like that. I think I think something that maybe I would say has influenced me is the fact that I've never been taught that you're one thing, you know? Like when I was young, my parents encouraged me to follow my kind of interest in science but also in the arts. And I was always kind of taught that you could be lots of different things and be interested in lots of different things. And Sometimes when I when I think back to when I was like applying for jobs and doing interviews, you know, you chat to random people and you talk about their backgrounds and their dreams and hopes. And I remember always thinking how strange it is that I'm not 100% dedicated to this path. Like if this interview today doesn't go well. I'll go find something else, (laughs) you know, and like even those years working at the bank, I remember thinking there was people talking about where they were going to be, what hierarchy and laddered climbing they were going to do over the next 10 years. And I was kind of thinking, well, if it works out, it works out. You know, I'm going to work hard every moment because that's the kind of person I am. But but I'm not of the opinion that, you know, this is the be all and end all. And if it falls through, I'm a failure. That's not how I was taught that people are. And so I think it made me that influenced me in the sense of making me open to just seeing who I would become and the fact Mm -hmm. that different professional, you know, plot twists came along the way it's okay. Like, obviously in the moment, it's hard that you're starting over and you're thinking, okay, I'm the new one again. And, and what is that like? And you have to work extra hard. But I don't know, it's left me quite zen about the fact that you just become more of who you are. And that's not necessarily a path that's set when you're five years old, you know.
1: What a fortunate outlook to have so early on, as you say, with your parents' influence, because it meant that you didn't define yourself by that present moment or that present job and so many people so many of us you know fall prey to that because we don't know any other way you know until we do and you know when someone fires you for example if someone loses a job or it really is the end of their world at times Mm -hmm. because they were defined by that position and so for you to have such a central or centered knowing about yourself with the good fortune of parents that came before you to instill that in you is I think the greatest fortune in the world that you've got with that you know I'm yeah. very
2: grateful I think I'm discovering a little bit of that I don't know that I would have had the words for it when I was younger but now I'm getting more into concepts of like mindfulness and meditation and I'm thinking maybe there's a little echo of that you know of like being in the moment and if something goes awry or not how you thought or you lose yourself in something it's fine you just begin again and then you see where you go from there so I I wonder if that's why some of the teachings of things like mindfulness are picking up on something that was kind of already inside me but I just didn't didn't have the vocabulary or the tools to figure out what that was and I mean I'm speaking now as if I've always been like totally in control. That's not what I'm saying. Like, of course, you know, you go through life and you have no idea what's going on and you feel a bit lost and you don't know who you are and what you're supposed to be. Of course, all of those questions. And to this day, right? Like I've started a business and I adore it, but I still second guess it all the time. Am I good enough? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I adding the value I'm supposed to add, you know, and, and, and all of that. So I don't want it to make it sound like it was, you know, smooth sailing, but equally looking back in hindsight, I like to look for the silver lining. And for me, I think there are things to be grateful for there in terms of influences and experiences and stuff.
1: Absolutely. I mean, echoing what I was saying about, you know, sometimes our path is written or we gravitate towards certain professions that are so suitably for us. In the same token, I feel, um, our spirituality and our outlook on the intangible is the same, you know, because how you just mentioned about that mindfulness, you know, being there to begin with, and you start to become aware of it more so. I was the same, I think, you know, because I I practice Buddhism now, and I never was, you know, even looking for that. Once upon a time, but then when I look back, I think, oh, I was kind of aligning my life in that direction anyway, so it just starts to make more sense, but given that you've done both creative and corporate, would you be able to recall when that creative side actually surfaced? Do you remember something that led you or, you know, manifested in itself in some project or something you did?
2: Yeah, oh Yeah, I love this question. Okay, so I think, I think the truth is, I've always been really torn, because even my early, early days of school, I remember kind of like loving maths and sciences and stuff. But then like the thing I would do with my spare time was like paint and draw and stuff. And it was always just like a, a piece of me. And my dad was really into photography and still is actually. Um, and so whenever we'd go on holiday, he would at the time, you know, much to my chagrin, drag us to places. And he would lie down on the floor trying <laughs> to compose an image. And I'd be like, oh, God, Dad, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> but (laughs) But like, I feel like he, he was one of the reasons that I was so open to letting kind of hobbies find me and Mm. I don't know, just being willing to shift your perspective and see and see where that creativity comes from. The concept of like, play, like my dad was always very playful. He wasn't the best dad. What? (laughs) (laughs) no he's I love him but but okay but like he wasn't like the best like father like educational father figure but he was he was my play friend you know like he was the one that would come up with games for me and like all we ever did together was like run around and explore and play games and you know and he would like come up with like puzzles for me and stuff and it was always there was always that playfulness in the way he approached like the world and I think that made its way into my approach to creativity and then I found it again you know in my 20s in the circus when you know the concept of play is actually really really massive in performing arts when you're supposed to like break break down your preconceptions about the world and and things like that but anyway but I I do think like it's always been there drawing painting um photography writing I've always loved writing when I was young I would write short stories so you know I think it's always been there it's just been a question of like I don't know not nurturing it as officially as I was nurturing the kind of scientific part of me it was always more of a hobby and then you know in the circus years that's when I you know turned it into a full-time thing and it was pretty awesome
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's amazing that you say you know about your dad because You know, that element of fun in life when people become parents isn't really mentioned as as something that actually is really important, you know, because there's the role of being responsible and being, you know, the father figure, mother figure, the the role model. Um, So it's actually an amazing job that he did, that he brought that into your life to have fun. Because the way I can see it as well, for me personally, no one in my family was into music or, or or doing anything super creative in that sense. But because we were brought up quite, you know, know you're right from wrong and all the rest of it, I always felt going into creative things almost as in right and wrong. And that fear of making a mistake was so apparent that it, for me personally, held me back and still to some extent does. So I think to have that as a kid and really approach creativity with, let's just see what happens, let's just have fun, is a huge bonus.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so, I am grateful, and I think it stayed with me, like, for me, you know, he's held on to his inner child now into his 70s, you know, and that's pretty impressive, like, yeah. it means he, he, you know, he wasn't, you know, maybe the dad that perhaps I needed all the way through, but but he certainly taught me what it means to, like, hold on to that you know to hold on yeah. to that spark of, of playfulness and creativity and stuff and I feel like I, I've taken that with me now even into starting a business and I often say that I connect with people who have a bit of a playful approach to their wedding planning because it's a stressful thing planning your <laughs> wedding right you know yeah. like those, <laughs> but I think if you approach it with a little bit of play like a lighter heart and openness and flexibility really really awesome things can happen and you'll have a better time of it so Definitely. that word playful has actually made its way into my website copy quite uh, you know has quite a central role in that as well and I like that it's sort yeah. of homage to me and to the things that are important to me Definitely.
1: Well, let's talk about all things weddings. Did you dream about having a a dream wedding yourself?
2: I mean, I think I've always been a really romantic, like soppy, like hopeless romantic kind of person for sure. I think probably because I've been watching Disney movies since I was three, but like (laughs) I've always had a slightly sort of utopian view of what it's like to be in love and grow up and all of that. And, you know, the birds are singing while you're putting on your wedding dress. You know, there's things, you know, yeah. things happen all the time. Yeah, <laughs> But um, I, I had no idea that I would end up in this industry. But it makes perfect sense because I was marrying off my Barbies at the age of eight. You know what I mean? Like it was, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. I just never knew it, you know, I never knew that it was a job and I never knew what it meant I never thought I'd start a business i never I just think these things sometimes you find them later in life and it's all the more special because it was a calling you know that you kind of just uncovered over time but yeah it makes perfect sense (laughs)
1: yeah so was your wedding
2: we got married in 2017 in Tuscany um it wasn't our original plan we were going to get married here in the UK in Devon because my husband is from here but um, that plan fell through. This was way obviously pre-pandemic, so not COVID related, but in a very similar fashion, we had to replan everything because our wedding venue actually went bankrupt and closed. And we had to like start all over again and change our date and change our plan. And when that time came, it just felt like we didn't want the second version of our wedding to be like a compromise of the first we were like let's do something totally different let's go to Italy let's have a destination wedding instead And now I wouldn't change a moment of it. At the time, obviously, it was hugely heartbreaking to have to change our plans. But now it feels like it was meant to be because we've got such amazing memories of being out in Italy with my husband's family and my family coming together, not being able to speak, of course, because neither understand the other. But it was amazing anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The language
1: of love was there. Language of love. (laughs) Is this before you became a wedding planner?
2: Well, I guess during, I suppose, if that would be the official way because it was really when we started planning our Italian wedding that I started working with a planner. Um, at the time, I was at the investment bank, my husband was starting a job in law, and we were both so completely overwhelmed. We thought we'd planned our wedding, and then we had to start all over again. And we were coming into such a busy time for work. And we were just feeling really disheartened. I think we just mm-hmm. disconnected from the kind of identity of the wedding and. So we started working with somebody amazing and she became a friend and a confidant. And I mean, she was the one who saw the spark of how much I was enjoying the planning process. And she was the one who said to me, like, you don't seem happy at the bank. And when you talk about the wedding, like you just light up, have you thought about doing this as a job? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I mean, it was really from the moment she said it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I kind of set things in motion quite slowly, like started doing some training and like interning and like getting to know a little bit more about the job, kind of secretly on the side during weekends. Um, I started working on my website and and this was sort of during the period of being engaged kind of pre-wedding. So that last year of kind of wedding planning. Um, and then as we were getting closer to the wedding, I'd made the decision that I was going to go for it. And so... A month before our wedding, I gave my notice in and I quit. We got married. We went on honeymoon for, you know, three weeks and then came back and started the business full time, straight in. And it was probably crazy, but I'm glad I did it that way because I think if I had held on to a part-time job or something, I think because of the way I am, like I don't, like I give myself so fully to what I do, I just think I would have really suffered from trying to keep yeah. two things being done well. Yeah. Um, I'm such a perfectionist, and I feel that I would have—I don't know—I think I would have been really hard on myself about that. Yeah, and so just because of the kind of person I am, I know so many wedding planners and other wedding professionals who have a part-time job for a while, you know, until their business kicks off and they do it extremely successfully. And I'm so, so happy for them and proud of them. But just for the the kind of person I am, I think it wouldn't have been right for me. And I was obviously very, very lucky to have had a job that paid well enough that I'd been able to save up for a while. Um, And so I gave myself a deadline. I said, 12 months, if I don't get a booking by 12 months, I'll go become a pearl fisherman, you know, whatever's next. <laughs> 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 Whatever comes next. <laughs> I love that. But um, it was month number 11 and my first booking came in.
1: What a good number too.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is it. This is my sign. <laughs> I'm not even a very like, you know, woo-woo kind of person. Like I'm, I'm such a, a scientist at heart, but felt like the universe was telling me I was on the right track. So, yeah.
1: And this, this 11 month period, was it filled with doubt in yourself or were you like, we're all in and there is no room for failure?
2: It was built. I mean, it was definitely filled with self-doubt. I've always massively struggled with like, like self-belief and self-confidence and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yes. And to this day, yes. <laughs> but I don't know. I I was just so happy to be doing it. I did feel like I was all in, and I kind of went through a being a yes person for eleven months, just like yes, I'll try that, yes, I'll do this, and just doing everything I could to give the business a chance to succeed. Whether that was like loads of networking or loads of work experience, like I did loads and loads of work for free that first year because I just felt like I needed the experience and the confidence and just giving everything a bit of a go and just seeing what would help and what would you know work because I think with every business it's different you know you can give each other business advice but ultimately what works for you isn't the same as what works for other people so just trying a bit of everything like marketing wise and a lot of learning like a lot Um, because as I say I'd not come from events and I'd also not come from an entrepreneurial space or family or anything so just learning all of that from scratch. And to this day, it's all learning.
1: (laughs) So you said four years, you're into it now?
2: Yeah, so that was September 2017 that I launched. And no looking back? (laughs) No, I adore it. And going back to what I said to you, I'm past my three-year threshold. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I noticed that. (laughs) I'll have
2: to wait till six and see how we go.
1: (laughs) In terms of your own wedding, just briefly, um, it was obviously very magical. Were there any regrets? Because you did have a wedding planner, presumably most things were, were taken care of. Was there anything you look back on and think, oh.
2: Honestly, not really. Um oh, wow. I think, I think probably if we were doing it now, I might do some things differently. Maybe I'd have a smaller wedding. And this kind of connects to the fact that, you know, as a wedding planner myself, I've ended up sort of specializing in the micro wedding and elopement space, maybe we'd elope. But the truth is that was right for us at the time. And at the time we made the decisions that, you know, felt meaningful to us and felt right to us. And sure, there's always a little bit of compromising when you're trying to make a big family happy. But yeah it was smaller than it was going to be like when we were going to have a UK wedding it was more like 150 people and then when we when we ended up having a destination wedding our final guest list was actually like 90 something. so um, it did get smaller into us it did feel intimate but I think maybe if I'd known then what I know now about the fact that you can just have like 15 people in an incredible yeah. day then maybe we would have done it that way but
0: yeah.
2: it would have been hard because we would have had to you know, speak to family about that, and and I'm sure it would have caused a little bit of sadness and upset, so it, yeah. I think we did what was right at the time.
1: It happened <laughs> perfectly, and you can save the micro one for your renewal of vows. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as somebody that got married and, and- essentially uh, organized it myself. <laughs> I wish I had the uh, position to be in, to have had your services because <laughs> I was overwhelmed, you know, and I know what you mean by um. There's, there's so many things involved in it. And I was running on adrenaline and just for so many circumstances, it just made more sense. I just get on with it, but I was burnt out. I mean, I managed to last the first dance, And then after that, I just remember sort of melting and just kind of (laughs) running on empty (laughs) (laughs) and dreaming of a mattress and a bed so I could, you know, rest. I really, really respect that role of a, a wedding planner so that the people getting married can actually just do that
2: (laughs) yeah i mean honestly i think i i wouldn't go as far as saying a wedding planner is for everyone because there are people who absolutely adore the process and you know don't want to let go of any part of it and and that's amazing i'm so happy for those people um but i think a wedding planner is for more people than people think i think it's it's really for anyone for whom the value of their time is something that they can put an actual sort of preciousness kind of amount on because especially these days there is so much for all of us to be juggling at any given time and and it's not even just about the wedding it's the whole engagement period like those 6, 12, 18 months however long your wedding planning is like it should actually be really fun like you're probably never going to do this together again and it's gonna be like it could be a moment for you guys to bond and get stronger and love each other more and find out more about each other get closer to each other's families it can be all of that it can be a chance to decide what you want your love story to be and your legacy and you know and, and it's just it can be all of that but I think very easily it can just become extremely emotional and stressful and and I just think having someone by your side you know the same way if you were I don't know if you were looking to look after your body better you might work with a nutritionist it's yeah. not a must-have yeah. obviously yeah. but it, you know if you were looking to create a home you love you might work with a, an interior designer you know what yeah. I mean like it's you don't have to have one but truly the value it, it adds to some people's journey is you know priceless and so hopefully it's those people who end up making the decision that they want to work with a planner. Yeah. And you know, there are so many of us out there, like my colleagues, so brilliant and so, so different as well. Like all of us have a bit of a different personality, a different approach to planning, more creative or more logistical. Some of us are a bit more like matter of fact, dot, dot, dot. And some of us are a bit fluffier. I'm a sort of friendly neighborhood wedding planner. I'm on your WhatsApp all the time kind of person. You know, maybe that's the kind of wedding planner you want and maybe it's not. But the truth is, there's there's a wedding planner out there for everyone's style of planning yeah. and also budget. Like there's yeah. a huge, a huge range in how, what wedding planners charge. So, you know, don't make the assumption of thinking, oh, it's It's only the celebrities who get wedding planners. Yeah,
1: that's (laughs) That's so good to hear because it does sometimes feel like an unattainable extra. Would you see yourself as someone that essentially carries the weight and shares that load however much the couple or the bride want because then you can go on that journey with them we've been at at weddings and maybe even the wedding that we're at in 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 Italy was like that where there's a real hold and understandably so to let go of any of the to-do list Um, so you gauge that at the beginning and you just work out between you and client how much of the journey you're going to take together and how much you will sort of lead the way
2: exactly that is absolutely it because Everyone's approach to it is different. Everyone's stress points are different, pain Mm -hmm. points. I always say to couples, like, I'm here to help you do less of what you don't love and more of what you love, because there are going to be parts of wedding planning you love, and hopefully that's what you get to do all the time.
0: Yeah.
2: The thing we do a lot of is research, and so hopefully that saves clients time because they, instead of having to scour the entire internet for florists, they just look through our short list, which has been curated specifically for them Um, so we do a lot a lot of research and a lot a lot of admin um, which again hopefully is a time saver but the truth is when it comes to the more like creative part of wedding planning for example some couples love that and Mm. so it is very much a partnership where they've already got the seeds of an aesthetic and all I do is help them grow it and flesh it out and find the right suppliers to bring it to life and other times maybe there's nothing there we're starting from a beautiful blank canvas and maybe I'm the one to initiate it and then they are the ones who grow it so it's really it's very much a partnership but to what extent I lean more heavily on the admin side or the creative side, or it's a mix of both. You know, I just take my cue from them and how they, what they're like, you know, what kind of people they are, how much time they have for wedding planning. um, What platforms do they want to use? Like with some clients, it's all video calls. With some, it's all emails. With some, it's all DMs. You know, it's totally up to them and how, you know, what space in their life they have. But yeah, I adapt myself to them and, and to what they need. And hopefully I'm just a kind of calming Guiding hand all the way through. And if suddenly they're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know how to tell my mom that we're not inviting. great aunt Sue and then I help them write an email that's you know tactful and loving and and you know or maybe they say like oh I don't know how to choose between this and this what are your thoughts or what should we write on our invitations or we do a lot of very practical stuff but I think as planners we do just become confidants through the wedding planning process as well and sometimes that's family dilemmas sometimes it's decisions that are a little bit tricky and emotional but we make them together and hopefully that makes it a little bit of a lighter journey for them (laughs) yeah
1: I have to ask have you ever come across someone that you're planning for that you see ideal to be a wedding planner as you were seen
2: a hundred percent yeah some of the brides I work with they are so wonderfully organized. They color code their emails. Like it's amazing. <laughs> and I've often said to them, like, you are amazing at this. You're incredible. And I think for them, it's also like, it's fun for them to have time to be able to, to do wedding planning in that way. Because yeah. I think if, if they were on their own they might end up a little overwhelmed by everything and then they don't have time to color code their emails because there's loads of stuff going on. Whereas the fact that hopefully they're able to kind of focus their efforts into the spaces of wedding planning that they're enjoying. And then that comes to life in loads of different ways. Sometimes that's like a super, super organized bride. And sometimes it's a really hands-off bride. You know, some, I I have couples that say to me, like you choose, (laughs) We'll, we'll just, we'll just show up. (laughs) that's also really special because that's a lot of trust you know to be put in my hands so it's a different kind of partnership but it's you know equally an honor
1: (laughs) yeah so what are three considerations would you say um required for the ideal nuptials
2: you mean like in kind of building your ideal wedding kind of yeah I think the secret is aligning your values and slash preferences slash vision with reality and weddings can become stressful is when you have perhaps a very set budget and then the vision of the wedding that is it absolutely non-negotiable for you doesn't align with that budget mm. or maybe you have a vision of the wedding you've been dreaming of since you were a little girl or boy and it doesn't Align with your current family dynamic, or the country you live in, or cultural things, religious things, all kinds of bits. You know, that there's so many different facets of life yeah. that will be a part of your wedding planning. And I think where where heartache happens is when there's a disconnect between those things. So number one, absolute thing is be really, really honest with yourself about um, your priorities. Some people, if you ask them about the priorities, they start talking about how the day looks. Sometimes you ask them about priorities and they talk about how the day feels or they talk about how much money they're spending or they might talk about seeing their mom they haven't seen in three years. You know what I mean? Like there's very, very different things that mean a lot to people. So translating your priorities into your wedding. I think the other thing is the perfect nuptials really come down to having the team that is perfect for you. And whether or not you have a planner, it's about building a team of people you actually really really trust and really respect and admire so that whenever you're speaking to them any communication you have with your vendors you feel in safe hands you don't feel like they're trying to mislead you or con you or you know like just those feelings of like mistrust or maybe like ignorance not in a negative way but in you know, an actual like not knowing something. Mm. Um, having vendors that educate you through your wedding journey. So you speaking to your cake maker, and she explains to you why three tiers costs more than two tiers, or why buttercream needs to be held at these temperatures, or you know, you know what I mean? Like a really stressful part of planning is how abstract everything is. And the fact that you don't know how any of it works because you've not done it before so having that peace of mind of a team of people that you know you are happy to invest in that you feel safe with, you know, you feel guided with, you trust and that you're going to see on the day and you're going to be like, yeah, there's my florist. She's awesome. She's doing an amazing job. Yeah, here's my photographer. I feel like we're friends already because we've had an engagement session and then we had a beer and he's brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, so it really comes down to not feeling like you have to micromanage every single moment of your wedding because you trust the people that are there looking after you. With a planner, That process is in a way facilitated because every vendor that's being put forward to you has that planner's like seal of approval. And so, you know, they are going to go above and beyond for you. You don't have to have a planner for that. It just takes a little bit more diligence and research. And again, just asking all the questions and taking your time really. So number two, an awesome team. Number three, I mean, I guess this kind of goes back a little bit to number one, but in a slightly different way, which is grabbing everything you know about weddings that you have seen, that you have been to, that you saw on TV, that you saw on Pinterest, and just like put it in a box, put it away, and actually ask yourself, what do I want to do? Yes, it's connected to your priorities, but it's it's a little deeper than that. It's sort of, what does a wedding mean to me? And how do I want to bring that to life? So do you want to have 10 people or do you want to have 200? Do you want it to be in your backyard or do you want it to be on a glacier? Do you want to eat all day or do you want to hike all day or do you want photographs that could be on Vogue? Do you want michelin star dining or do you want your friend's barbecue that's the best meat you've ever eaten? You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's sort of like, what does it mean to you? I think a perfect nuptial is... The nuptial perfect for you, and the thing is, that's completely different for different people. So get your priorities straight, and that does include budget. Let's put those numbers down, have that chat early on, get an amazing team, and then do what's right for you. I hear so many people who say they, when they say they have regrets about their wedding, it's because they did something to please somebody else, and ended up with a bit of a regret there because it's not what they actually wanted to do. And the truth is, you will please your friends and family more than you think and more than they think by doing what you actually want to do. Then they'll show up to your wedding and they'll be like, oh, wow, this day feels exactly like Bob and Barbara. This is is exactly what it's like to hang out with them or to be in their home or to go on holiday with them. You know, it's going to feel exactly like the couple and you're going to be a happier person, which means you're going to be, you're going to have happier relationships with your family and your friends rather than spending 12 months doing what you think people expect you to do, which is not what a wedding is about. I love that. Some people may not be very good at showing it. So like when we changed to our destination wedding, right? For the most part, everyone was like, oh my God, we can't wait to go to Italy. But a couple of people were like, I don't know where my passport is. I need to take an extra day of holiday. (laughs) And it's like, it's fine because although that's the thought that popped into that person's head in that moment, the truth is if they come, it's because they really want to come. And if they do come, they're going to have an amazing time. They're not going to remember the fact that they had to look for their passport for five minutes (laughs) and they're going to have an absolutely amazing day with you. And the memories will show it. Like the memories will encapsulate all of that. So even though some people who forget that you have got all of wedding planning on your shoulders will give you their one concern about the thing you're doing. Like, oh, but have you thought about the fact that people need to hire cars in Italy? Mm -hmm. Have you thought about that? Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) We all do it. We all go on holiday and hire cars. It's fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you'll be looked after.
2: (laughs) It's gonna be okay. I think that's the thing. It's just letting go.
1: (laughs) So I have to turn to what I'm familiar with and very aware of is as a musician, the music. What impact would you say music has on these events? How important does music play a part of, whether that's recorded, live, background, first dance, etc.?
2: Massively, in the sense that music is one of the biggest components of the wedding atmosphere the atmosphere and the ambience to feel magical and welcoming and relaxing and fun and exciting. And music sets the tone for that 100%. For some people, live music is a non-negotiable. They want that energy, that buzz of having performers and, and instruments. Usually that's for couples often who either have a very personal connection to music in some way or someone in the family or that kind of thing. Usually people who really appreciate you know that experience of the live music. That's less usually important with the small weddings but still like creating that feeling of everyone being in it together, partying, putting their worries away and just getting lost in the moment. Like music can do that. So hugely. First dance, quite a few of the couples I'm working with are choosing not to do one. And I think mm. it's interesting because I think increasingly people are asking themselves, like, which traditions actually feel right for us and which don't yeah. and I think there's something about the first dance like unless the couple is particularly into dancing it sometimes can just feel like an extra source of stress like oh god we need to choreograph something we need to learn how to dance we need to stand in front of people we need to pick a song for some people that's an unnecessary source of stress and so yeah it gets removed. And that's fine. That's that's exactly the kind of wedding planning that I was talking about, which is making decisions that are right for you. So First yeah. Dance, for some people, they've known for years what song it was going to be, and they're really excited to learn. My husband and I did have one, and we spent some time learning how to do a kind of mini version of like a waltz, and it was really fun. Yeah. And it was a way of showing... Bit of your personality, isn't it? For us, it was a jazzy acoustic version of Tale as Old as Time from Beauty and the Beast. And I loved it. (laughs) you know having live music for the ceremony is just so magical and people absolutely love that and then maybe having those musicians play something different during the drinks reception something that's becoming really popular is the kind of dj live so you have the dj and then you've got some performers on the side we had that at our wedding we had a dj and an electric violinist and it was so much fun and to this day still something that our guests talked to us about, about how fun it was to have the electric violinist there. <laughs>
1: For us, it was it was quite a very last minute um, aha moment. I think I was in the kitchen one night and I heard You Send Me by Sam Cook, but it was a, another version. Um, I just thought, oh, wouldn't that be nice? I'd just start singing the first bit. and Michael, who plays bass, will be playing the bass and then we can just hand that over to everyone else and we'll just dance the rest of it and it was very organic like you said for us being in in the music world I mean I think we needed a wedding planner just for the musicians because we ended up having about 18 of them so it was quite OTT but (laughs) but you know it suited the occasion and it involved all our friends so it's beautiful to know as well that wedding planners are there to move with the times.
2: If there's one thing hopefully that I help couples do is liberate them from that pressure that, that the wedding is this kind of old-fashioned, stale, you know, picture-perfect thing that, that has been around for decades and decades, yeah. and decades
1: I have to ask you, who would your dream band be if you were to, let's say, renew your nuptials?
2: Oh, my God. It would be the Cranberries.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact the answer was on the tip of your
2: tongue. <laughs> I know. They were actually the first um, the first live concert I ever saw uh, oh. in New York City. I'll never okay. forget that. Okay. although I might get Shakira to show up at some point as well I love her <laughs> she can do an interlude <laughs> yeah just you know, a little bit
1: <laughs> so as we mentioned earlier we were fortunate enough to meet in beautiful um Italy Naples Ravello just the most amazing part of the Amalfi coast what other destinations would you put in your top three
2: Oh, how exciting. Okay, this year I'm doing Italy a couple of times, which is going to be great because obviously it's my home and I love going back there. Mm. So I've got Tuscany and Puglia and Amalfi next year. Um, a couple of times in Greece. I've worked there before, and the kind of content that I've shared from being there has inspired other couples. So, I'm going back to Greece a couple of times in Santorini and Mykonos and Milos, so a couple of different islands. Um, I'm doing Spain. I'm going to Mallorca for one elopement. I'm going to the states for one i'm going to new york city for one of them which is really fun and then I'm going to be going to um, Africa a couple of times. So we've got Namibia and Mozambique wow. and the TBC on Egypt. They're still thinking about it. So, I mean, that's all extremely, extremely exciting for me. And for me, every new location is like my new favorite. So that's just how I live. I think if I had to make like a bucket list, I went to Iceland last year on holiday and I adored it. And I would love to do something there like an elopement or an intimate wedding or something I'd love a chance to go back to Iceland and sort of see it with wedding eyes I've also always dreamed of going to Bali and I've never been so I would love any couples considering Bali to get in touch (laughs)
1: yeah put it out there
2: and the final one is New Zealand that's like a dream location for me I don't know maybe one day I'll move there but the truth is if I could get some work there I would love it (laughs)
1: Wow well I've you've been to New Zealand before?
2: I haven't I've just seen so many um, so much amazing amazing footage and photographs and I feel like it's calling to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah yeah tune into that because I, um, I was lucky to go there visit my brother that was living there many years ago and I did this mad mini tour of the South Island and got to see how diverse it is. I've been to the North Island as well for a wedding, but you really can't take a bad photo is what I'll say, aside from the incredible nature and clean air and beauty of the country. So yeah, definitely. Very briefly, because we've been in a two year pandemic, has your event planning continued or changed through lockdown considerably or not been as affected as you thought?
2: I think the biggest impact has been the fact that the wedding industry as a whole was hit so hard and couples confidence obviously was hit really hard because of the amount of uncertainty that they dealt with um, and the amount of heartache with all the postponements and cancellations and things. Personally, for me, because I've always specialized in kind of micro weddings, even before the pandemic, I was able to continue to some degree, um, you know, serving those couples who wanted those small weddings and if anything it kind of opened up maybe some connections that wouldn't have existed before in so far as maybe couples who were going to have a big wedding and then had to sort of rediscover the joy of wedding planning despite having to downscale. I feel like something I did a lot of over 2020 and 21 was helping people find ways to make the wedding just as exciting and just yeah. as meaningful and just as magical despite being micro. I'm a huge believer that if anything, and if done, you know, in an intentional way, smaller weddings actually have more space for that, because you're doing more of what you love. And you've got that bit more breathing room with the decision making and with the budget. So I feel like I shifted my focus in, in the sense of helping people see that. But my actual work continued to be very much about those dreamers who wanted to elope or go have you know a really intimate celebration somewhere obviously my travel was completely halted and so all the destination weddings that were supposed to happen last year didn't quite a few of them will be this year hopefully and a few that were supposed to be destination became UK so yeah I mean, a huge impact. As we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, I think a turning point has been reached and people are feeling more constructive and positive and confident. And I think we're all approaching it with a bit of like perspective, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, perspective exactly was what I was thinking because I think what this lockdown has done for everyone, when you're forced to change direction or slow down or even stop, um, it changes your perspective naturally. And I think the beauty that I took away from the pandemic and the lockdown, which we all experienced, you know, in our own ways, allowed for problem solving and allowed for other ways of thinking about doing things. So just like you had your plans changed for your own wedding, you were actually in the perfect position to be entrusted, to have other people believe that those plans that are changing are actually changing for the better and perhaps they had even more magical times although they didn't see it that way originally
2: yeah 100 percent. i think if we did all want to look for the silver lining i think we would find one which is that weddings have been to some degree brought back to the basics a little and by that i don't mean the wedding itself is simpler but what i mean is we're all concentrating a little bit more on what's at the core of the wedding, that ceremony, those vows, that family, that gathering. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be epic celebrations, they should, and I love that. But maybe a little bit of the kind of forced pomp and circumstance of weddings has been just brushed off because Mm. actually now we're thinking about the meaning of it. And and people have just been so happy to get together again and celebrate again. And I think it has done it good. I feel like it's just been a breath of fresh air for people to think about weddings in a slightly different way. And I also think from a societal point of view, I think over time, perhaps because of how elaborate and complicated and expensive they can be, they had kind of accumulated a little bit of a bad rep of like a luxury. Mm -hmm. Weddings are an absolutely integral part of society, of who we are as people, who we are as families. It's us choosing who we want to be. and, And I just think there is nothing like weddings when it comes to embodying togetherness and unity. Through the pandemic, we needed weddings. Yeah. And the weddings that did happen were incredibly special. Yeah. And now that they can happen again, we should all remember just you know how privileged we are to be able to get married and yeah. get excited about our wedding. I think there's some positive there. <laughs> yeah.
1: I have to ask you a double question. Okay. Do you believe? Do you believe in love at first sight? And are you in love with love?
2: Oh, in love with love, a hundred percent. And I think I always have been, which is why I think it makes perfect sense that I do what I do. Like, literally, I will cry at adverts that have couples in them. I'm the soppiest and love for me is the single most wonderful thing in the universe. So yes, definitely. Love at first sight. I think that's an interesting one because my relationship with my husband is a really interesting case of not really love it first sight because we actually became really good friends first. And for years, I kept saying to him, like, this is the best version of our relationship. Like, we are such close friends. We shouldn't ruin it by trying to be something more. And for years, he was like, no, we're supposed to be together. You'll see one day that I'm right. And I'd be like, no, don't be silly. <laughs> this went on for like four years. And eventually I was like, you know what? You're the person I miss all the time. You're the person I wish I was spending time with when I'm spending it with other people. So why am I pretending that you're less than, you know, love? I think for me, it wasn't, but maybe it was. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I just hadn't realized it. From the moment we started hanging out, there was nobody better for me. I had to stubbornly figure it out over time. (laughs) (laughs) I think the kind of Disney version of me thinks yes but I think also life is more complex than that sometimes love is something that grows in really really unexpected ways and that's a really amazing thing about it
1: yeah I have to agree with you again something that we have in common because My husband and I were distant for a long time, as just mates, not even close friends, for a very long time. Sort of crossing paths and bumping into each other at random places. You know, I lived in Nabrook Grove, and he was going past on a float (laughs) for carnival. I thought, what? You know, or you know, working in the same venues, or and it happened so many times that I never ever saw anything into it. And then we became like you friends very good friends that immediately felt comfortable a safe space and and again I was like no we can't ruin this friendship and he like your husband said but we're meant to be together I love it so um there is something to be
2: said about he does remind me pretty much daily that he was right (laughs) (laughs) it was part of his wedding speech you know it's all it's Time.
1: okay so you're not so secret to a happy partnership or the happy ever after does that exist and what are your views
2: I mean it's not a secret and, and I'm far from the first person to say this but I'm obsessed with communication like I I hide nothing I say everything that I feel all the time <laughs> and, you know, maybe I should, but, um, I'm a huge believer in like the best relationships being the ones where you're just an open book to each other and you wear your everything on your sleeve for the other person to see and accept and love and support you with. And by that, I don't mean, you know, I'm not belittling how important it is to be independent in a relationship. Of course, like you are your own person, you do your own thing, but Being able to talk about literally everything and anything and creating a safe space where you know what the other person is going to say before they say it. And when they do say it, you listen. There is nothing more important than that. And when things go wrong, that's when it's more important than ever to use all that communication you practiced to be like, okay, things are hard. This is why. This is how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? What's important to you and what's important to me? And how can we move forward in a way that's sensitive to both of us? You know, um, relationships break down because one person maybe needed something and didn't say it. I'm completely obsessed with like wearing your heart on your sleeve. I do that kind of with everybody, but I think it's most important to do with your partner
1: and do you regularly check in with each other do you find that's important all the time
2: all the time we're always talking about how we're feeling and I love that I'm not saying you need to be an overshare if that's not the kind of person you are but just kind of listen to your heart like if you feel like there's something that is important to you that you want to talk about talk about it I've never been one for like oh you know you're dating, so I can't send you a text, I have to wait an hour, otherwise it looks too, you know, desperate, and then I can't call you until tomorrow. No, like, I've never followed any of that, Um, which means I would probably be terrible at dating now, I'm probably pretty lucky I've been in a relationship since 2009. I don't know, I just think that those are the strongest foundations, is when you are actually best friends.
1: Wholeheartedly agree. I have to ask as well, where did the name come from?
2: Oh, the stars inside. So it's like a a little bit of a homage to the astrophysics part of my career, because I worked in that for a while, in a very direct way, I suppose. I I really love sort of celestial imagery. So it works from a branding point of view, but it's a little bit deeper than that in the sense that... So every human is made up of a lot of parts that work together. So... The science of how a human works, how the brain works, how our emotions work. Like there's a lot of really cool science and anatomy in there. But there's also something inside that is way beyond just the sum of the parts. Like we as humans are made up of stuff that can be explained and stuff that can't. And I just think it's a really fascinating dichotomy between kind of science and arts, which has always been so important to me. It's sort of like things inside, like the stars inside of each of us are the parts that are so complex and so beautiful and so wondrous and totally unexplainable. So at first I was like, that's stupid. I'm not using that. But then it kind of grew on me. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, is it a massive mistake not to have my name in there? Because a lot of wedding planners are like weddings by, Mm -hmm. you know, something, something. Um, But I actually kind of like that it's not a wedding specific name because I like the idea that, I don't know, over time, over decades, maybe the business will evolve. Maybe I'll shift from doing... Well, I can't really imagine not doing weddings, but it might, you know, end up encompassing more than just weddings. It would be nice for the name to not be too restrictive or too specific.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. And as you say, the stars inside, it could be the stars inside the book come next. Yeah. Because I, I have could. to say, I am a fan of your your writing when I've read your blogs and, oh, and your posts. You. You've got a really eloquent, ethereal and really expressive way of using your words. And as a wordsmith, thank I love so it. I love it. Yeah. You know, I'm open yeah. to it. <laughs> so we'll stay tuned for what's next on the horizon for yeah. you. <laughs> well, that's led us to uh, the final question, which uh, is what does the name of this podcast between the sound mean to you
2: what it reminded me of is the expression between the lines a sort of like reading between the lines it kind of made me think about the fact that more than ever sort of as you become an adult the things that try and take your attention are more and more numerous like the world becomes more complex there's more noise and sound there's more things tearing you in different directions and it's harder than ever to kind of find that little bit of you that's just you Mm. x kind of life complications right like Mm. that you that comes out when you're maybe you've been on holiday for about three or four days your brain is starting to settle and you remember the things you enjoy doing in your spare time or oh you pick up that guitar you haven't played in 10 years or you start writing a journal entry you haven't opened and it's just like those bits of you that end up a little bit kind of dusty and rusty and and hidden underneath life's sounds and so I think the image that it conveyed for me was like all those moments of life between the parts that are visible and audible you know like the parts of you that are just in between the lines, I guess, in between the sound, our stories and how complex we are as humans and and that there's always something to read in between.
1: And I almost (laughs) feel like between the sound and the stars inside almost marry well together.
2: They do. (laughs) (laughs) They do. It's almost like talking about something intangible that's like there.
1: Yeah. It's a knowing feeling that something exists but doesn't have to be necessarily seen to be proven. Yeah. Oh, Valentina, it's been such a joy talking to you. It's so fun. It's and I'm
2: so fun. I loved all your questions. <laughs> I'm
1: glad. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the beauty of, you know, the last two years has actually allowed us to connect online in this way and still, you know, talk with each other, have conversations, find out about ourselves. Um, I feel like it's only yesterday that we spoke in person. So it feels very natural and I'm super happy that you had some time for me to do this today
2: <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me it's such a pleasure <laughs> you're
1: welcome and I can't wait for what's next I want to hear all about these destination weddings that uh, you'll catch up on this year and beyond and um, I will of course stay tuned to all your online posts and and daily thought patterns which I love <laughs> of yours
2: <laughs> right back at you right back at you I'm so excited to see what you get up to and hopefully 2022 and beyond has so much more awesomeness to bring for you (laughs)
1: yes I am into that thank you so much until next time (gasps) lots of love (laughs) and stars Bye.